0: Welcome to the Abundant Wellness with Andrea podcast, from surviving to thriving in mind, body, and spirit. Hey there, I'm Andrea Jones, registered nurse, functional hormone coach, inner healing and deliverance pastor, and most importantly, wife and mother of two beautiful girls. This podcast is really a conversation about how to discover and walk in an abundant life that God has laid out for us while processing what I call the messy middle— pain, and overcoming things in our life that are hard in order to nurture all of the parts of you so that you can walk in abundant wellness in all areas. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to have Erin Carey here of Sparking Wholeness. Erin is a certified integrated nutrition health coach and self-proclaimed Brain Health Nerd. Um, She has received training from the Institute from Integrative Nutrition and the School of Applied Functional Medicine. She is the owner of Sparking Wholeness and works as an integrative health coach at Living Well, Holistic Counseling and Wellness in Tyler, Texas. As a survivor of mental illness, Erin knows firsthand how suffering from a chronic illness can infiltrate every area of our life. She has spent the last decade learning what holistic health truly means, and that comes from uh, in the form of nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Erin wants people to be empowered to be their own health advocate and not be limited by a label or a diagnosis. Erin, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
0: I, I love your story. And the more I get to know you, the more I'm just like, ah, we have to have you on again. Cause there's so many one, you know, from my personal story that I relate so much to what you have walked through and just kind of how our journeys have collided um but just the way that you're able to bring language to really complex um interconnected issues and so I'm so thankful that you're here today to talk to us about really um improving our mental health from that holistic mind- body spirit perspective so thank you so much for being here
1: yeah I'm, that's fun I, I love talking about all of these right blue board to it
0: absolutely so let's start at the very kind of foundation of how would you define cuz i feel like there's still so much stigma attached to even the topic of mental health or mental illness so how would you kind of define that for the audience that's listening
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, because I do believe while not everyone will be diagnosed with a mental illness, I think everybody is going to suffer from mental health issues at some point in their lifetime. And that could be related to trauma, grief, job changes, moves, losses, you know, I guess grief is loss, but any of those real life things that we encounter, but then we also have a portion, a percentage of the people and that percentage is growing that are diagnosed with mental illnesses that it's really contributing to the overall physical health and it's debilitating and it is rooted in some internal maybe some external imbalances but there yes. are definitely a lot of internal imbalances at play as well and so it can be either or but it also can be both and and so we can have situational yes periods where we struggle with our mental health or we can have you know ongoing periods where we struggle because our body is trying to alert us to an internal issue that's going on and i do like to think of even just mental illness, as we diagnose it, it's truly our body trying to alert us to something that's wrong. And we have the choice to find what that imbalance is, of course, from a functional medicine lens. It's like, what, what is the root of that? And how can we correct what is driving that? Um, And then some people will maybe need some symptom relief in the, in the meanwhile, and um, we can get into a little bit more of what that would look like, but yeah, I mean, it's such a These days, so many people are suffering and so many people are struggling. And it is unfortunately very normal to be struggling and it's okay. If you're listening to this and you're struggling and you're like, Oh, I just want to make it stop. And I don't feel normal. And I don't feel like myself. That's extremely isolating. So just know you are not alone. We all go through it some in some form or fashion. So yeah,
0: that
1: answers your question.
0: It does. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there was something a friend told me in nursing school that she, it might've been like my psych nursing rotation. I can't remember. Um, but that it's, everyone is susceptible. Mm. None of us are I mean, yes, there may be some genetic factors that create more of a susceptibility for some and not others. We know that there are socioeconomic factors mm-hmm. um, that predispose. Um, there are nutritive factors. There are, uh, you know, there are multiple, none of us exist in a vacuum, right? And so, but I think normalizing mental health, taking care of our mental health from that physical, emotional, spiritual perspective um it can change everything because if we do feel that stigma or that oh this is only for people who are super broken or have a really right. traumatic past then we're going to most likely miss some of those warning signs that we're actually not doing okay um prolong getting essential treatment right and then it takes longer to recover and so i think if we can like you said like everybody's everybody is susceptible. We will experience mental health changes. We know that in menopause, um, women experience just like puberty, um, mental health changes. And it's a really important to talk about that because it's not a hundred percent hormonal. Um, although that's a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And so really understanding that there are a lot of different facets to what mental health even is, or what mental illness is. And even some of the evidence that's coming out now, how much of that is actually inflammatory Um, Absolutely. Is changing our paradigm of how we think about mental health issues, right? So, can you tell us, um, and I know this is a big topic, how does nutrition impact our mental and emotional health? Because for me, I know that that was not a part of my treatment plan until I crashed and I crashed hard uh, postpartum. And I did not find that in the conventional medical community um and so let's talk about how does nutrition play a role in that and what are maybe some foundations within that that we can start being proactive about
1: yeah i mean there are two ways kind of two approaches that i would i would look at and there are very much connected, but um, we have the the nutrient factor, and then we have the gut health factor, our gut microbiome. And so, I'm going to start with the nutrient factor because yes. they're absolutely connected. Um, anything that we absorb, ingest, eat, consume, whatever, it's going to impact the health of our gut. Yes. And so, depending on how healthy our gut is, makes a difference in you know what's even getting absorbed. But let's just talk about the nutrients first. So, from the nutrient perspective we have to be able to have a certain amount of B vitamins, amino acids. There are certain minerals at play as well to create neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are the chemical messengers in our body that function at the brain level. And they're being sent throughout our body because of the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is the nerve that connects the brain all the way to the gut. And it attaches to different organs in between. Right. And so it's, it's more of a web than a highway. A lot of people talk about the gut brain highway, but it really yeah. is more like the gut brain web. web It's all yeah. connected, but there are certain key nutrients that we must have to make something like serotonin. I think I I use serotonin as an example a lot because serotonin is what people would consider to be the happy neurotransmitter, right? Right. Um, People are familiar with serotonin because antidepressants are, um, the most commonly used antidepressants are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That means you are keeping serotonin Serotonin in your brain a little bit longer so that you can be happier and less anxious and feel safer longer. And serotonin does so much more than regulate our happiness. It also plays a big role in regulating our bowel motility because again, our brain is connected to our gut. So there's a lot serotonin does beyond just brain health, but that's what we normally think of. Well, just to make serotonin in the body we have to have certain b vitamins we have to have tryptophan tryptophan is going to be then be converted to 5htp 5htp is converted to serotonin and another thing that's really important with serotonin is at nighttime serotonin gets converted to melatonin and we really need that for good sleep so if you are having a really hard time struck, you know going to sleep at night if you rely on melatonin it might not be the melatonin that you need it might be the serotonin that you need so But if we just take that going back through those layers, we have to have those raw materials to make the serotonin. And so many people are not getting that specifically. And we've talked about this before. V6 is necessary to make serotonin. B6 is something that's depleted with birth control pills. And a lot of these B vitamins, unfortunately, is something that can be depleted with, with medications. Yeah. Um, even mood medications can deplete B vitamins and, but we need the B vitamins to, to make, make the neurotransmitters. Right. So it's, it's, I mean, so it's a web and it's a tangled <laughs> web, right? Especially once we start trying all these wonderful things. That, and let me add in there, I was on antidepressants for 18 years. Yeah. I was medicated very young in my life. I was on all sorts of other mood stabilizers, probably for about 10 years total time in between there, but antidepressants I was on for a very long time. And what we are seeing now with antidepressants is it does um, create disruption in gut bacteria. There's an interesting study that talks about how they cause microbial imbalances specifically a disruption of lactobacillus and that regulates body weight. So we've got all these people on antidepressants and they're like, well, gosh, I mean, I feel, maybe I feel a little bit better, but I keep gaining weight. I don't know why it could be the lactobacillus. Well, but wait, we need lactobacillus to produce neurotransmitters. So that's where the gut health comes into play. We have certain strains of bacteria that help produce neurotransmitters as well. So lactobacillus helps to produce acetylcholine, which regulates the vagus nerve and GABA. So I I threw a whole lot of stuff out there, but what I want to get to, (laughs) I'm going to kind of back peel it away and back it up again, because it's a lot. And it's, I mean, it's taken me years to get to understanding this and to see how does this actually affect me and the people that I'm working with and the people that I talk to and how does this impact my family? If you are eating your food in a stressed out state. If you're constantly stressed, you're always on the go and you're eating in a hurry, you're eating, standing up. And, you know, I'll be honest, I ate in a bit of a hurry earlier, just because I've got things I have to do. Well, that's going to inhibit what your body's going to be able to absorb and digest. I always say a body in stress won't digest. Right. So that plays a role the way that you eat plays a role in what's even digested if you are eating overly processed foods we know we've got lots of studies now that shows that eating overly processed foods is is directly connected to anxiety and depression but if you're eating those overly processed foods it also impacts digestion you're just not getting the nutrients that you need so we have a lot of things that work against us in our modern culture as to what we're actually digesting consuming then you factor in things like thoughts and You know, glyphosate on everything that breaks down the gut microbiome. And so we're not getting the raw materials. And so I don't say this to stress anybody out, (laughs) right? um, Or to like freak out and panic, because there are things that we can do. We can make sure that we are eating whole foods as much as possible in a relaxed state. And as much as possible is going to look different from one person to another, as much as possible is going to look different from one stage of life to another, right? It's going to look different for our kids, depending on the stage that they're at, you know, like I've got, I have three kids, one's 18, one's nine. And one is six, the nine and six year old are both playing the same sport in the same season. And it's a little hectic. We are relying a little bit more on pizza than I would like to, right. (laughs) But that's, but that's reality. And that's where we are. And I try to make up for, The gaps in other ways. And so just realistically, where can you add in more nutrition? Where can you be kind? And and I think about even as like, this is not like we're going on a diet and I'm going to make you add in all these things. This is where can I give my body a break? Where can I take a second and add in some food It happened to me today. I was in a hurry, but you know what I rely on when I'm in a hurry and I'm at my house and it's a work at home day. I rely on eggs. I scramble up some eggs. Eggs are loaded in so many brain nutrients, especially the yolks. They are packed with choline, which regulates the vagus nerve, that gut brain communication. They're packed with B vitamins. There's so many good things about eggs. And so I always know I can scramble up some eggs pretty fast in the same amount of time that I would just like have handfuls of popcorn or something. Right. Right. (laughs) And then I'm getting that protein that we talked about. I'm getting the amino acids from protein that we have to have for neurotransmitters along with those other vitamins and minerals. So the I say all of that, not to be overwhelming, but just to, you know, look at it from a perspective of what am I giving my body so that it feels safe to digest, absorb and utilize the food or that that i'm providing it and and then what's it going to do from there the rest of it is up to my body but i can control the stress levels while i'm eating and i can right. control what i put into my mouth for the most part
0: <laughs> right yes no and i think um i think you know with all of that information there's it would be very easy to become overwhelmed but if we look at it as most of us if not all of us have to relearn how to eat Um, In a way that is actually giving our body a break. And I I remember I used to think of like, you know, I would change my diet or I would do keto or I would do intermittent fasting without really a thought as far as how those nutrients and that style of eating would impact the different organs of my body long term, it really wasn't until uh, I kind of crashed and burned on both of them that Mm -hmm. I felt really awful after a period of time. That I started to realize, I really have to shift my mindset about why I'm eating the way that I'm eating, and um, and I loved what you said is where can I give my body a break? Because if we're looking at the food we're putting in our mouth, the intention that it takes to let's say go to the grocery store and look through the ingredients, if my mindset is this is such a hassle, this is so frustrating, this is such like a cost to our family, versus Um, I get the opportunity to nourish myself. And this is an investment where I actually get to nourish my family. Um, If I'm looking at it that way, the feelings that I have even about eating that food and being inconvenienced by it um, is going to impact my stress level right and my digestion so it's even those absolutely those things right and you know you and myself included we've talked about this, this has been a 11 year process for me of relearning how to eat uh, because I had this dysfunctional digestion I'd been on antibiotics forever which definitely didn't help my mood um, I was mm-hmm. on antidepressants for almost nine years I um, had a lot of unresolved trauma um, and emotional stuff that had to be addressed because of how Mm -hmm. that impacts the vagus nerve, which is like wrapped around your intestines and your vital organs, right? And um so I just I love the way that you shared that, you know, where can I give my body a break? Because most of us don't think about eating that way. Um we're thinking about eating as like I'm gonna fill my hunger, right? Um, instead of the foods that I choose actually are giving my body a break. They're providing these different nutrients. They're Um, supporting my brain health for the long term, um, because it's a long game. Mental health is absolutely a long game. And um, I think we know that a little bit more acutely or intensely because of the different journeys that we've had to walk through in overcoming those things and even overcoming um, having to go off medication, which is like a whole other journey (laughs) in and of itself. So where would you recommend, because I know that you have some resources and I would love to link that, um, recommend that people start when they're really wanting to learn, like, how would I even know, like what to start with when I'm wanting to learn how to eat different foods, whether that's working with you or a different yeah. resource, because I know you have a lot. That's a, there.
1: that's a great question. Cause I think a lot of, because we have so much nutrition noise out there, <laughs> totally. I see a lot of people get caught up in things like, is broccoli raw or cooked better? If I cook it, am I cooking out all the nutrients? Yeah. And am I? These are like high level advanced questions that are very heavily debated in the nutritional community, right? And it's gonna be different for every person depending on what's going on with their individual body. So for me, I'm like, man, just start basic as basic as you can, and maybe just start adding in more vegetables. One thing that I do when I get off track because of my stress is I focus on the cruciferous veggies. That's um, the main ones. There's, there's a whole lot of them, but the main ones are broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts. Those are my go-tos. And even today, when I mentioned that I scrambled up some eggs, I also had roasted some cabbage last night. Roasted cabbage with some garlic is delicious. So it's wonderful for the gut. So good for the liver. And I ended up put um, warming up my, bro- or my broccoli. <laughs> Maybe I want broccoli too. I don't know. Uh, warming <laughs> up my cabbage in a pan, reheating it, and then um, throwing on some eggs and scrambling those up. And I had cabbage and eggs together. And it sounds weird, but I have made a deal with myself that I'm going to get at least one cruciferous veggie in a day. Now this is where the nuances come in, right? Because some people don't respond well to cruciferous veggies. And there are many reasons, you know, there are many different factors at play. But um, I think for a lot of people, if you are going from you know, take out and fast food and convenience food and processed food and lean cuisine meals and things like that. And you're just trying to switch over to whole fresh vegetables and fruits, then just, just start with the cruciferous vegetable. See how you see how you feel, you know, right. roasting veggies is my favorite way to do it. Like about 400 degrees, maybe 20 minutes or so three, 375 to 400 degrees. I always have pink sea salt, the Himalayan salt. I yeah. have, um, pepper, usually some kind of garlic. I'm a garlic girl. Yeah, I love it. And so that's, oh, and some, um, I do av- avocado oil for the higher higher temps, olive oil. I do for lower temps, but, um, yeah, I mean, just throwing all that together in a pan and roasting some veggies, see what you like, see what flavor combinations you like. That's really how I got started. And from there, I would just throw a whole bunch of things in a pan on the stove and saute veggies and see, and have make scrambles and use leftover chicken or use leftover meat that I had. And I always try to have leftovers because it helps me to repurpose things, but really just starting to add whole foods in. And maybe it's maybe you're like I'm just going to start with I'm going to have a handful of blueberries every day. That's a big win. Right. I think fruit is so demonized <laughs> that and, and it's funny I actually once I really got into this whole mindset of I'm eating for my brain and I'm going to just wait and see what feels good, fruit is not really even my go-to. I don't right. go toward food, fruit like I have to make myself eat blueberries and apples. Those are the ones that are kind of my my standard go-tos because they're right easy and, you know, I can get blueberries organic pretty at a pretty decent price. So like maybe just have a handful of blueberries a day, maybe have an apple a day. Apples are packed with really, especially those green, um, the, yeah, the green green apples apples, are packed with good fiber or a little lower glycemic, you know, for people who are concerned about that. And, but they have quercetin, which is really helpful for healing the gut. Yes. And it's, it's even kind of a natural antihistamine. I take quercetin just by itself for allergies because in East Texas, things get a little crazy here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I mean, just start with something. Just think about what plant foods am I adding into my day? We overwhelm ourselves and make it way too complicated and get yeah. caught up in, oh no, cooked or raw, or what do I just, just do it. Just do yeah. it and see how you feel.
0: Exactly. And one of the things I tell my clients a lot, cause you know, when, usually when we're working together, it's a pretty focused issue, you know, like hormone balancing or something like that. And they can be very overwhelmed of like, I've never had greens with my meals. I've never done these things and it. You know, maybe I'm having to switch out some different products and it feels very overwhelming, which I can, com- I completely understand. Cause the first time I had to go shopping after seeing my naturopath, I cried. 'Cause I just didn't even know what half the ingredients were. No. I wasn't used to reading ingredients. So it's very normal to feel that way. Um, but one of the things I challenge my clients with is look at this as an adventure of what am I going yeah. to try and what could I possibly like? It's not about perfection mm-hmm. and it's not about coming out, out of this with I'm gonna like every single thing that I try. Because that's not super realistic. Um, and then mm-hmm. like kind of like we do with our children, let's if you didn't like it the first day, okay, we'll try it in a week, you know, and see, Mm -hmm. (laughs) see if we Mm -hmm. can slowly, or, you know, for some of my clients, we'll blend it with a smoothie and get the nutrients in. And then we'll kind of do some baby steps to like adding some things in. But I think, um, those are all really good, really good options. And we kind of, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to just dig in a little bit deeper because with Within, you know, treating mental health issues like depression or anxiety or bipolar or OCD or anything in that spectrum, right? I think there is that delicate kind of place in treatment where, as practitioners, we're looking at, okay, is this person in crisis where they need help, like, immediately, we need to get some stabilization, in which case, medication might be the most appropriate choice, Um, as a short-term solution versus a long-term solution, right? Uh, Because there is, I know for me, that was necessary for a period of time. I don't know if you would say that for yourself. It was for me. Um, But within that, I think it's also really important to talk about in what ways can those medications actually be harmful um, Mm -hmm. so that we can make that like risk-benefit analysis and have a more informed discussion with our provider about those choices.
1: Yeah. Those are all really good questions. I, and, it, and it's so hard to know because, I mean, even if we look at the data that we have with just take SSRIs, because I think those, at this point, those are probably the most commonly prescribed. Right. But just with those, we know that they are effective at about 30% the, the first time they're prescribed, because um, of course people have tried different ones. But now we're seeing new studies that show that when you take away the placebo effect, which I love a good placebo effect, there's no, I mean, vegetables might be a placebo effect for some people at first, because it makes you feel yeah. really proud of yourself because you're eating the vegetables, right? Yeah. Um, but when you take away the placebo effect of the antidepressant, it's it leaves only a 15% efficacy rate. And so that wow. means 85% of people might not actually be getting the benefit. And at wow. one point I had listed out what i just what i believe from the research i've done and the training i've done the root causes of depression could be and i listed out about 20 different root causes yeah, only yeah. one was a serotonin issue yeah so what antidepressants do is they address serotonin they address yeah. keeping serotonin at the synapses of the brain longer i had mentioned that earlier and for some people that is a good first step and i you know i look back at my history i was prescribed them i was a young teenager and I think it worked at first, you know, with, with teens, there's some interesting studies that it's, now they're kind of saying there's more risk than benefit. They might be more right. harmful than beneficial, um, just because developing brain does different things. And right. I know I experienced some deeper depression after I was pres- prescribed the antidepressant. Then we got the dose leveled out and then it seemed to be okay. My case is a little bit different because, too long on the antidepressants. And I went up, I went into manic hypomanic, okay. and that's when I was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. Okay. Was it because of the antidepressant? Was mm. it because of genetic predisposition? Was it because of some other immune system malfunctions that were going at the same time? I don't know, but we have to be careful. You know, we just have to be wary of all of the possible side effects. Yes. But I do think for a lot of people, even the ones that aren't that 15 30% a lot of people do feel better on antidepressants because it just feels better to have a solution and there's yes. nothing wrong with that right. and i really want to destigmatize yep. because i think you know we we've gone back and forth i know when i was first being prescribed this was the mid 1990s and I felt I would never tell a friend that I was on an antidepressant. Well, these days, my daughter is Gen Z and Gen Z, they are all about shouting out what kind of meds they're on and they're on a lot. And, but then you have the others that are seeing the long-term effects that their parents are going through and they they are looking for maybe some more natural things. And that's kind of a funny side effect as well. Um, There are people that are benefiting from these medications. Um, You know, we're, I'm talking mostly about SSRIs, but we, there's also, you know, different epileptic or anti-epileptic drugs that are used for mood stability. We also have the classification of benzodiazepines, mm-hmm. Um and that's That gets into real, um, kind of muddy territory because there is a lot of pushback against prescribing those right now, just because they are addictive. They create mitochondrial dysfunction and it might even inhibit the brain's ability to rewire from trauma.
0: So that's something
1: to, to think through before being prescribed a benzodiazepine. Um, they do. I, at one point I spoke to a holistic psychiatrist and she said, um, that it is more difficult to withdraw from a benzo. It is to withdraw from meth. Whoa. So there's something, these things just need to be considered. Yeah. Um, there's also the category i missed under yeah. SNRIs are also, um, prescribed a lot for anxiety as well. And those, I think those are the ones that people tend to like a little bit better. They don't, create as much weight gain as maybe the SSRIs. Okay. So it's just, you know, okay. there's so many different options out there. It's hard to know what the right one is. Sometimes you can do gene testing, gene testing yeah. can help to know what you're going to metabolize better. Right. Um, some psychiatrists will do that. You cannot get, and then we're not even in the category of ADHD medication, right? Which
0: is a whole ADHD other medication yeah. <laughs> is a
1: whole other thing and comes with a 100% um, rate of having side effects of some kind, it's going to, no matter what, it's going to come with a side effect. And that can only at this point that I know of can only be prescribed by a psychiatrist because of the risks that are involved with those. So there are lots of options. And isn't that an amazing thing? Like I, we have to give credit where credit is due to the modern medical interventions that we have, because in the short term, like you said, From the studies we have in the short term, they do well. The problem is is that we don't have the long-term studies. We're seeing the fallout from the people that have been on them long-term and can't get off. That's a silent epidemic that's happening is people going, well, I keep trying to get off, but I'm having these brain zaps. I had brain zaps for three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of went off on um, more the the side effects side of things, but um, it is, they have there are times when they are needed and so i don't want to ever count that out there but there are also maybe some alternatives as well that could give people even more instant relief than antidepressants amino acids things like tryptophan 5htp gaba Gaba's tyrosine amazing. there are all sorts yep. of different options yeah. yeah and those work instantly you yeah. don't have to wait two weeks for it to have an effect the people that take antidepressants and the next day they feel better that that's the placebo effect at work. It really takes a good two to three weeks for it to kick in and have an effect at the brain level. So there are all sorts of other things, um, that are well-studied, well-documented Julia Ross's book, the mood cure is a really good resource for that. Uh, Trudy Scott's anti-anxiety food solution is another one to talk all about amino acids, especially in that like immediate, like, Oh, I need some relief right now. And of course, always, I mean, don't take I'm not offering medical advice. <laughs> right. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm offering my experience, my research, but always talk to, you know, your practitioner before trying something new and never go off your meds, cold Turkey. Never, you never, don't. never. That is one of the most dangerous things you could do.
0: Absolutely. And have you tried that? Cause I tried that and it was an awful. Experience oh yeah. And I would not ever recommend it. Yeah. Um, And no, I, I love just everything that you shared because, um, there are those things that do work very immediately because they're available at the brain blood, uh, level, right? So they get into the cells really quickly. Um, and the molecular size of some of those nutrients, um, is able to cross the blood brain barrier. Not, not all of the ones that you shared, but there is, uh, it's not having to bypass, um, that blood brain barrier with as much difficulty, which, Mm -hmm. um, is why we get that instant kind of instant relief. And then you're not having, um, to deal with the side effects of getting off of the antidepressants. Now, one of the things, um, just because I have a lot of people come to me that are like, I'm on this thing. I want to get off. I don't know if it's possible, um, that we talk about. And I, I know that you have talked about is really, addressing the reasons why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, meaning that we're looking at infections, right? We're looking at how the gut brain Mm -hmm. connection is doing. We're looking at emotional trauma, physical trauma. We're looking at, you know, how, what's their vagal nerve tone? Even like, I know that mine is not great right now. And so I'm really working on that in a way that I have not ever done before. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's been
0: fascinating because it's just another piece of, that puzzle of the beauty of how God made us so with so much complexity. Um, but at the same time, my general recommendation, and again, this is not medical advice, but it is, if you are going to go off medication, you want to make sure that you have built up the building blocks to fill in the gaps, so that when you go off, your brain isn't like, we don't have any of the nutrients to build this serotonin house, like for lack of a better mm-hmm. analogy. Yeah, you I have love it. To have, yeah. You have to have them, um, and it took me, you know, crashing postpartum, having really bad postpartum anxiety, insomnia, panic attacks, um, depression. Um, that was in part hormonal. Before we were actually able to even figure out, like, I actually have a couple genetic things that um, pyroluria is one that's a little bit less. Um, Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's known, but it's not, I mean, the doctors aren't really readily testing for it. Basically, right. like my body binds up the B vitamins and zinc and just peas them out. And so I have to take it regularly mm-hmm. so that it's free circulating in my blood for my brain to actually use. I felt different within two hours of taking those supplements. I was wow. like, is this what, and that's how you can tell there's a nutrient deficiency mm-hmm. because most mm-hmm. of the time. We will feel those changes depending on how deficient you are pretty readily. Um, But I had gut issues from being on antibiotics, like I said, for my acne forever. Um, So my gut brain axis was a hot mess. And um, there were all of these different pieces, but it really took that experience of I had to weigh like I have a breastfeeding baby right now. There's Mm -hmm. some pretty significant limitations to like I could there's no way I could do benzos at that time. Um, nor did I want, I didn't want to, but it was kind of put me in this unique position of uh, actually really having to explore what are some other options here, because this may not be a good fit for where I'm at right now. Um, And so as far as like a game plan for people, it's um, I was on antidepressants at that time, and there's no way I would have been able to go off had I not been addressing like the gut health. We got to get the bacteria where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. We got to get the gut brain connection to stop freaking out, get out of some fight or flight um, that was going on, get the B vitamins on board, get my adrenal health where it needs to be. And then once I was feeling really good and I was like, okay, I know now like how to take care of myself. Then I was able to slowly wean off with zero issues zero issues. And, um, relatively, I mean, I think I might've had like a day where I felt like a little bit off, but it was not, not at all. Like what with, you know, weaning had been before. And so that's the game plan that I walk my clients through and very similar to you. Like, what do we need to build up in the body so that we can Mm -hmm. actually make this a successful and safe transition for you? Um, because it's not, it's in my opinion, it is not safe to just wean off of them, even, even slowly without considering the reasons why your brain doesn't have those chemicals.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I mean, if you are going through a period of stress in your life, if you are grieving, if you are just Uh, you know, if you know, you have a nutrient poor diet and you're not really going to be able to change it anytime soon, it's probably not the right time to (laughs) try going off your medication. I I wonder how many people are trying that even with their physician's approval and trying to wean, but their body is just not ready because of life circumstances and that those internal imbalances that are still at play.
0: Absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, just having that open discussion of the timing and, um, and like the different factors, you know, like my mom was on hospice when I was pregnant with my second and I'm like, this is not, and I was on a super oh. low dose and it was probably placebo, but I was like, this is not the time for me to yeah. wean off of this right now. Like mm-hmm. it's just not. And, um, again, I don't know how much that 10 milligrams was doing anything, but, um, mm-hmm. cause it was much lower than like even the recommended starting dose. But, um, but it is important to pay attention to those different factors. So one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about in here, and because I know we both come from, you know, a Christian background, a faith-based background, you know, different, excuse me, elements of ministry. How do we have some better conversations as pastors, excuse me, as ministers that are helping members of, you know, the body of Christ, um, to have a more meaningful conversation about mental health, because I do think that there is still such stigma around it. There's not a lot of room to talk about struggle (coughs) or I'm going to have to like edit this part out. Sorry. (laughs) Um, or so the struggle, but also just creating room for the normalization of how our mental health is impacted by different things. So what are some ways that we can start to have more meaningful conversations around this topic?
1: Gosh, I, you know, there are so many directions I could go, but I, I do think it, it is important to acknowledge the physical factors at play. It is important to acknowledge that we live in physical bodies that yes, they can renew. And yes, God can bring healing, but there are so many deficits to work with as well. And I, I think about, gosh, I was recently reading and I cannot even tell you what it was, but just reading about Jesus's humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Like just being that embodied man on earth, he was sweating blood. He was Mm -hmm. sweating blood. Like I have been through some emotional turmoil in my life. I have never sweat blood. Like it's right. never been to <laughs> that extent. So yeah. he understands, he understands what it means to go through emotional pain that hits physical pain, right? right? Because they are connected. And I think we sometimes want to separate them. And, and maybe we put Jesus in that category of, of like, well, he's just experienced this on the cross, this emotional pain, this emotional separation from God or whatever, you know, and of course I don't want to get into all this like theology part of it, Right. but we have to remember he experienced the physical deficiencies of being human as well yes. to the, to the point where they were, they were touching that. I just think that sweating blood when I, that was so revolutionary for me to read recently, just going, Oh, wait, this is the emotional physical connection yes. in the right here. You know, and we do have that throughout scripture, even in the Psalms where, you know, David is, is crying out and, and he is in what seems to be physical pain because of what he's going through, whether, you know, his own, own guilt or shame or, um, right. just his own David is, is I, uh, he's such a complex talk about emotions and complex character, but David is one of those that, um, I'm always rooting for him, but I still kind of think he's a jerk for the whole Bathsheba thing so, you know, <laughs> right. and some of the other things. Um, but, I, but I read yeah. the Psalms and I'm like, oh, you get me, yeah. you know, like I feel seen the ups and, the downs, um, and, right? and there are lots of different. Oh, yeah. And and I think about Joseph waiting and waiting. You know, he interprets that dream wow. and he's like, this is my chance to get out of prison. And then yep. it's years later that he's finally oh. out. So we have all of these. We know we have Bible Characters, Bible people, real people of the Bible who experienced emotional pain. We also have the physical, and it is connected. I I think we want to in our modern world separate and put things into categories, and we're separating things into physical, mental, and emotional. But we also know that the Bible tells us we are loving God with our whole heart, with Mm -hmm. all of our mind, soul, physical strength. Right, and so there is that integrated, um, body at play in the Bible in real life. We know now more than ever before. I think we have the science to back it up, which I think is really cool. But, um, the reason I say that is because I think the church could start with not compartmentalizing everything. Let's stop making everything a spiritual issue or everything, a physical issue when it's cancer. It's a physical issue and we're praying it away yes. when it's depression or anxiety, we're praying it away because it's like an emotional state that we feel like we should fix. And, right, and I say, pray it away. I don't say that lightly. I'm just saying, I tried to pray away my depression oh, how and I fact? know God is a healer and I know he can heal depression. I just know for me, I also, there were some physical things at play Absolutely. that, that, needed to be worked on too. And so that that this is where it's just delicate territory, right? Like I want to acknowledge God as the healer, but I also want to acknowledge that we are living in a broken world with broken bodies, um, that are, you know, hopefully going to be made new (laughs) sooner rather than later. Right. So, um, yeah, that's real complicated to talk about. So I hope that made sense.
0: It did. Well, and I think it's, you know, for me, I, I know when I was really stuck in that place, um, postpartum. And prayer was my only tool. It was the only tool that I knew at the time aside from medication. But I still felt so much shame for it. Like, why isn't this leaving? Like, why is it not getting better? Uh-huh. Instead of realizing that God being a resourcer, right? He had other resources available for me that didn't diminish his healing just because he chose a different path for me. And ultimately it was that, that got me out of the medical system that got me, you know, doing what I'm doing now um, because of that pain. And because of what I walked through there and, and it's ultimately what got me into therapy and realizing that there was some very emotional, like things that were locked in emotionally that were causing physical issues in my body. So it ended up bringing a lot of integration, honestly, um, Mm -hmm. to my experience. But I think, you know, when we're, we're one of the best things that we can do for people, I think is to just become really good listeners of their story. And, um, and yes, we can point them in the right direction, but instead of labeling it as you just need to pray more, or you just need deliverance or which, yeah, you might need both of those things, but when you're in crisis, what do you need? You need somebody to attune to you, and to make Mm -hmm. you feel safe. And Mm -hmm. so if that safety means I'll go to the doctor with you, I'll talk to you after your doctor's appointment, I will help you connect to these different resources. um, You're not alone. I understand. Mm -hmm. Like those kind of things can actually really create this foundation for people of security when they're walking through something that's really hard and really scary. And I think about that time of my life as a teenager with OCD It was extremely scary for me. Um, I was young. I didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. to my body. I didn't mm-hmm. know that now I can put some pieces together that like, Oh, that was probably some post-infectious stuff happening to my brain, <laughs> you know, um, amongst other things. So I think it is a delicate conversation and I think the key there is to treat it delicately in the sense of let's treat it with some compassion and some tenderness as ministers or as friends um, and just love people where they're at and help them to get to the resources that God might have for them. Um, And that may be prayer. It may be medication. It may be working with you, you know, um, and really not limiting the hand of God and how he wants to move on people's behalf. And so I feel like there's a lot more we could dive into on that, but um, really just being open, I think, to the conversation. Um, it would probably bring a lot of healing for people and and reduce some of that shame and um, just allow for a better conversation. But this was really good, really, really good. Is there any last parting words that you want to share with our audience today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, and this kind of just touches on what you just said, I think that sometimes, when we are struggling, it's a really good opportunity to experience the community that, that God truly is also another important biblical foundation. You know, like what if we are struggling because we just need to be able to share our pain with somebody else so that we know that we're not alone. And, um, that's a great first step you know, and just to understand that it's okay to share. Cause some, like you said, sometimes these things can come from very deep wounds mm-hmm. that we have locked up and stored away and didn't know were there. And right. that that's happened to me recently. I've, I've uncovered recently some trauma that was very protective. God designed my body so well that there's trauma I had. I didn't know I had until I was right. 45. <laughs> yeah. Right. <Walk> so, <laughs> um, but now I get to with what I know and what I've learned, I, I get to find a counselor who is going to walk me through a healing process. I get to open up to close friends and it, let them know that I'm struggling, that they can pray for me when the bad stuff is hitting. Right. Yes. So I think that, you know, just what an, what a great opportunity to not struggle alone. And Absolutely. I think so many feel isolated and and we don't have to, and that maybe this is just the way to get to the point where you can share So that you realize you aren't as alone as, as you might think.
0: Absolutely. No, that's so good. And looking at it, and I would say this is true for disease. It's true for illness. It's true for mental health issues is if we can look at it less like an inconvenience and more like an opportunity for healing, um, then that totally changes how we move through that process, right? It's like, okay, now I can go out and look for resources instead of, oh, this is such an inconvenience. Like, no, what is the level of healing that my body needs or my mind or my emotions need? So I love that you shared that. Um, Would you mind telling people, I'll put it, of course, in the show notes, but telling people how they can find you and work with you if they're interested in that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So my website is sparkingwholeness.com and that's sparking, not sparkling, but sparkingwholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S.com. And then my Instagram is at sparkingwholeness, same thing. And then my podcast is sparkingwholeness as well. And that's searchable on on any platform.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for being on with us today, Erin. And I can't wait to have you on again here in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me.